You could stand for the reading of God's Word. <laughs> All right. Um, today's passage is Psalm 150, 1 through 6. That's going to be in page 303 in the Blue Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those home with you. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everyone that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the invitation to come before you and worship you, to sing our praises, to give our hearts fully to you in in acknowledgement of what you've done and who you are. Lord, I pray that you would take us higher um, as we consider what it really means to worship you and the the, uh, the overarching, uh, God, just joy that it brings to our lives, God, the fulfillment that it brings to our lives as we acknowledge your glory and your majesty and your greatness. So, Lord, I pray that this would not be just a a lecture or a philosophical discussion, Lord, but I pray that the end result would be that we would be more intentional, more, uh, God, just, just adamant to praise our great God. And so, Lord, just work in us to, to bring that result. Lord, I pray that you would be so gracious to this people to assist me, Lord God, and, and to help me to speak uh, with clarity and speak according to your word, Lord God. I pray that, that, um, that we would, we would uh, God, just all together be able to hear your word and, and to see our lives transformed as we listen to what it teaches us. So we thank you for this, Lord. Be with us today. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> you, you may be seated. Well, so good to have you here on this chilly, chilly morning, and um, glad that you braved the cold and and came. I, I saw the uh, the reports of people going to the Kansas City game and the conditions that they were willing to sit outside in which to do that, and so I thought, surely someone will show up to church to worship the Lord, and so you did, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, we uh, I just want to mention a few things that I've been mentioning uh, tonight. We're still are having the chili cook-off, so I hope you'll come. Hope you'll bring some great chili. If you didn't sign up, we, uh, that's okay. We just just whip something up and come and join us, and we're going to have a great time. Most importantly, I'm announcing this because I would love to have every able-bodied man that can help us set up some uh, tables and chairs after the service. So please don't run off. Um, and if you you guys have a bunch of teenagers and recruit them to help us out and we'll get this knocked out really quick to be ready for tonight. Um, also, I want to mention uh, something I've been mentioning 
that our Contend Conference, uh, we opened up registration last weekend, and it is filling up. That is not a bluff. It's not a marketing ploy. Uh, we only have so much space, and it's filling up. So the, these uh, uh, sheets will be on the uh, table out there. just allows you to scan the QR code and be a part of this, and you won't want to miss it. If you're, if you're kind of new to the types of theology that we talk about, this will be really helpful to you, um, and it will help you to uh, walk, um, you know, in a way that that enables you to, to kind of engage what's happening in the world and in the church today. So we really want to see you there. Our guest is Austin Keeler, the holy nope on uh, on the social media platforms, and, and you won't want to miss that. So please uh, don't delay. Get signed up. We'd hate for anybody from Northridge not to be able to have a seat um, at the conference. There's no charge, but we just need to make sure we have space for everybody. So, And then lastly, I want to mention uh, Tyler uh, kicked off two weeks ago our, our men's meetings. And they're great guys. You need to be there. Need to make every effort to, uh, you know, show up and be a part of this. We're taking it in a new direction. And, um, so we want you to be there. And so we're meeting this Saturday morning here in the, in the back in the treehouse room at eight o'clock. And, um, you will not want to uh, miss that. So, uh, make plans on your calendar to do that. So let's move on to the scripture. Um, <coughs> we're in our third week of our series on to maturity um, which you know comes from the passage I said last week in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 and what we're doing is we're considering our call to press on to higher attainments in the Christian life the bible teaches as we talked about the first week that god never intended us to be spiritual infants living on spiritual milk but rather we're to grow and we're to develop and we're to expand our taste and our capacity for spiritual things. Now, we've seen that a pursuit of growth, of maturity in the Christian life, involves a determined commitment to the Scriptures, first and foremost. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, By reading and memorizing and daily meditating upon those Scriptures. We've seen the necessity of building a habit of sincere prayer using several strategies that I shared with you last week. And I hope that the encouragement and instruction you've received have propelled you towards a more faithful devotional walk as you've begun the new year of 2024. But if it hasn't, I hope you'll persist in the desire and the, and the intention to know and experience God as a, in a fuller way this year. I, I promise that if you'll take these few handful of seri- messages very seriously, that the end of 2024 will be much better than the beginning, no matter what your external life circumstances are. I promise you that. James one twenty two tells us that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. He says that when we do this, we're deceiving ourselves. There's no benefit in merely hearing sermons or other teachings and not acting upon them. Um, James says that this leads to self Deception and eventually it leads to self-destruction. It leads to frustration. Jesus said, you'll recall, in the, that the wise man is the one who does what? Who hears his words and does them. He contrasts that with the foolish man who hears the words of him. So what's happening here? They're both hearing the words, but does not do them. So the, the, 
the key is application. The, the second man is destined for catastrophe. So I'm encouraging you, don't let sermons go in one ear and out the other. Think deeply. Build good habits based on what you hear. How do you do that? You offer repentance. You become renewed in your thinking. Just because it's the way you thought, you think and the way you've always thought, don't think it's the right way to think. Um, let the word challenge the way that you think. Don't let me challenge the way you think. Let the word of God challenge the way you think. Write those things down that you hear in messages that are applicable and, and, and do it right when you hear them so you won't forget them, so that you can follow up on what the Lord is, is uh, calling you to. Now this week, putting all that together, we want to consider what it means to be a mature worshiper. What does that mean when we use that word with worshiping? Well, there's two reasons before I get started that I think that this is vitally important that we understand what it means to be a mature worshiper. And the first reason is, for most people, most Christian people, especially here in the West, the words worship and the word praise are synonymous with the musical portion of our services. In fact, you, many of you probably think that the sermon has begun and so we're done with worship. But that's not the right way to think. We, you know, it may also not just include the, the, the music that we use in worship services, but the music that you use in private moments of devotion. But music is always a part of it. Most of us, when we refer to worship or praise, we're thinking of the role music plays in our spiritual lives to the exclusion of everything else. When the music stops, the worship is done. But the Bible, it certainly includes Many references to and instructions for the use of music and instruments and singing and dancing as acceptable means for us to express our worship to God. We even find in our text that we read this morning uh, that, that worship is, is a part of our worship, is part, or that music rather is a part of our worship expression. But what I'm asking is, is worship limited to that or is there more to this concept, more to this activity we call worship? And if not, you should be concerned. Why? Because maturing in worship might only mean somehow improving the ways we use music in our devotional lives. It might be great for someone like Mark Franklin. He's a band leader. It might be great for someone like Natalie Castro, who has all kinds of musical talent, Dave Walt. But it doesn't really apply to the rest of us, right? If that's all it means. It could mean that we, we have to become better singers. Oh, Lord, help us. I mean, I, I would like for some of you to become better singers as you would like for me to become a better singer. But that's not... Thank you, Rindy. I appreciate the support there. Rindy said amen when I said I'd like to become a better singer. So It, it might mean that we have to become better singers, that we all have to go through the effort that Natalie and Mark and David and Katie have done to strive to become skillful musicians. But for some of us especially that's in the last half of life, that ship has probably already sailed. My record contract is probably well out of reach at this point in my life. Or the ship has never existed, or quite frankly, the ship is at the bottom of the ocean. The second reason to talk about maturing as worshipers is that we also have the tendency, even if you can see beyond the the music boundary, we have a tendency to think of worship and to limit it to where we do it. That 
that what we did this morning from beginning to end may in your mind be worship. And we imagine that worship happens exclusively in the church through liturgies and through services and things like that. And that's why this morning we've chosen to direct our attention to Psalm 150. This is the final psalm in the Bible's spirit-inspired song and prayer book. 150 songs and prayers and meditations that were designed for one purpose, and that is to draw the people of God into worship. It's an exuberant call, this Psalm 150, for all of creation to worship God. Its theme is unmistakable. You can't, you can't read through Psalm 150 and say, well, I wonder what that's about. As it uses the word praise, it's the Hebrew word halal, and it uses that word uh, 13 times in just six verses. Now, I, I did not graduate in any advanced degree in mathematics, but that's more than two times a verse. It ends with the Hebrew phrase halal yah, which what, what does that word translate into English? Hallelujah. And you know what that means? It's a, it's not it's not a sweet happy, you know, warm, fuzzy word. It is actually a command. It's an imperative. And the word hallelujah or halal yah means give praise to Yahweh. So how can looking at Psalm 150 help us to mature as new covenant worshipers? Now, some of you know this, but before I was in ministry full time for a couple of decades, I worked in radio. And part of my job uh, in the, especially in the early days, was to conduct interviews. And I'd interview musical artists and civic leaders and other people. And in order to be effective as an interviewer, I always had to design the questions that I wanted to ask. Um, to, they, they were to designed not to get, you know, information that was hidden in the weeds, but to get basic information it without like i said the weeds of minutia or irrelevant detail and that meant that structuring all of my questions around basic questions what are those questions who what when where why and how those are the questions a good interview with any person no matter who it is any topic will always use some form of that framework for uh, veterans, like in media and, and uh, people that do interviews on their job, it becomes second nature. That's how you get to the information that you really need. You don't ask, what do you think about the color blue? Because you'll never get the information that you need. You need those questions, how, why, what, when, where, and how. Um, so the structure of Psalm 150 follows this pattern flawlessly. It tells us who we are to worship. It tells us where we are to worship Him. It tells us why we are to worship Him. It tells us how we are to worship Him. It tells us who we are to worship, or or who is to do the worshiping. It's simple questions, but the answers in Psalm 150 are expansive. They give us plenty to think about. Now, the first three words of Psalm 150 tell us who the only right recipient of our worship is. Remember what it says? First three words, praise the Lord. Now, that three words is actually the two words in uh, in the Hebrew language, halal yah, hallelujah. So it starts off with this praise, hallelujah, 
Praise the Lord. It's a summons, it's a call, it's a command to praise the Lord. Now this may seem obvious. Mark, you're reading from the Bible, the book of Psalms specifically. Of course it means to um, to praise the Lord. And that may seem obvious, but I want you to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, this is the essential gospel call. It is the Bible's central theme calling people to become worshipers of Yahweh. How do the Ten Commandments begin? Help me out. How do the Ten Commandments begin? What's the first commandment? What is it? It's louder. Everyone's like, where's the Ten Commandments in the Bible? I gotta get this. <laughs> the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So what is that saying? Is it saying, okay, before God, so we we can worship other gods as long as we worship God mostly, or as long as we worship Him higher than everything else? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that we are to worship God exclusively. That He is the only recipient of our worship. Well, that's the Old Testament. What did Jesus say? Well, He said, when He told answered somebody's question about what the greatest commandment was, He pointed back where? To the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God, listen to these words, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. By saying all, when Christ says that, repeating what Moses had written, by saying all, Yahweh leaves no part of us that is free from the obligation to love, to worship, to serve, and to obey Him. He wants it all. He wants all the worship, and He wants it from all of your being. Now, while you and I may not bow before idols of wood and stone, The command to worship God alone and with all our being demands that we make a careful analysis of our priorities daily, moment by moment. Let's move on. Next 100, Psalm 150 tells us where we are to worship. Now this can be a little confusing. Where do we worship? Psalm, uh, verse, uh, one second half of it. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. This passage has two equally valid ways to interpret it rightly, and they go hand in hand. The first would be to interpret it historically. The second would be to interpret it covenantally. I'll explain. Historically, for the original audience, when this first came off the pen of David, the original audience that read it, the nation of Israel, the instruction to worship God in his sanctuary meant worshiping him in the tabernacle, the temple, the place where God was understood to dwell with, and, and to worship him, not uh, you know as, as an isolated member of the human race, but in uh, with other Jews during solemn assemblies and feasts, to worship him in his mighty heavens was a call for the worship of God's people to be added to the angelic voices that are praising God in the heavenlies, as we see happening in Isaiah's vision in the temple in Isaiah chapter six. Um, Nehemiah 9.6 says, The host of heaven worships you. And these are the ways that ancient Israel would have understood verse 1. But see how the meaning of this verse expands to, uh, for us that are living in the new covenant. Where Christ has redeemed us by his blood and brought us in to a, a new relationship with him based on faith. Praise God in his sanctuary. 
So here's the question, the burden, since we know there is no temple and there never will be again, where is the sanctuary in which we worship God? How many of you know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God? Raise your hand. Okay, so can we say this scripture doesn't apply to us anymore since there's no sanctuary? No, of course not. Where is his sanctuary? Where is the temple of God now under the new covenant? The simple, there you go. I heard, uh, you're getting ahead of me, Sylvia. I'm just kidding, but I'm glad you said it. So first Corinthians 3.16 tells us, listen to this. Do you, the church, the people of God, not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Whew. Where's God's sanctuary? It's not only right here. It is, but it's not only right here. It's right here. Among the people of God, among the congregation of the holy. Because of Christ, God no longer dwells in a building. He dwells in His saints. He has made His dwelling, the Bible says, among them. It says that He has tabernacled Himself among them. The proper place to worship God is in His sanctuary where He abides. It's not a temple or a church building, but as a part of His people. And those, think about what I'm saying. So, what do you do with people that are outside of the, the, the sanctuary of God? Well, those outside of Christ are kept out of such worship. Does that mean that a lost person, an unregenerate person, can never acknowledge God or His greatness? No, it means that their worship carries no eternal weight whatsoever. Listen to what, how Psalm says this in Psalm 22, 3. It says, yet you are holy. Speaking of God, of course, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And we've talked about this before. When we see Israel as new covenant believers, we're talking about the chosen people of God through Christ. Not a nation, not an ethnicity, but God's chosen people. And so where is God enthroned? In His sanctuary, on the praises of His people. Now doesn't that just raise the face value of the prayers and praises that we offer to God? Doesn't it? We think, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm just here to sing a few songs and then Mark will preach and we'll do what we gotta do and we'll get out. But no! We are literally, by, by what Christ has done, not by our work, but we're literally seeing a throne room for God constructed among the tabernacle of God when we worship Him. And that should fill us with awe and amazement at what we are called to do through worship. The the King James Version styles it like this, O thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. That means God lives. Not only is He enthroned, but He lives in the praises of His people. God's sanctuary is is the whole congregation of those who have been transformed and redeemed by His grace. But we also worship God in His mighty heavens. Does that mean what the Jews thought that we're just kind of adding our, our worship to the worship of angels? Probably a little bit. But does it also mean that our worship will only be acceptable, truly acceptable once we ascend to our heavenly dwelling? Again, 
We don't look at the Old Testament to figure this out. We look to New Testament revelation of the Old Testament to understand what is being said. See, the Jews saw an act of worship as connecting them to the perfection of the praises that were offered to God by cherubim and seraphim. But we connect what is happening in heaven more tangibly, we connect to it rather, more tangibly and truly by being united by faith to Christ. How do I know that? Because you know what Paul says? He does not say in the book of Colossians, your citizenship will be in heaven. Never says that. He says our citizenship is in heaven. You are sojourning through this reality, but you live in the other reality. And Paul makes it way more clear when he talks about in his glorious chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, where he's talking about the redemption and and how the redemption of, of Christ works and how we are predestined through Christ. But he says this beginning in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace... You have been saved. And all the church said? In verse 6, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I know it's been a long time since most of you graduated high school. But what, verse 6, what is the tense, past, present, or future of that verse? Oh, read it again. What? Past. He has seated us with Christ. Where? Where? In heavenly places. So you're not waiting for a trumpet to blow or your body to drop dead to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Through the blood of the covenant, you already are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is amazing. By faith we're seated with Christ in heaven now. So where do we worship God? Only among the people of God, in the heavenly presence of God, That and by being united to Christ, by faith can we worship truly. We can tip God with our good thoughts and happy vibes, but we can't truly worship. We can't connect to that which is transcendent and beyond us without being in Christ among His people and in His heavenly sanctuary. But your worship, therefore, means, and listen closely, no matter how sacred you think this space is, mature worship means that every Place is regarded as a heavenly place. The highest mountain and the lowest valley is regarded as a heavenly place where we take our place among God's elect and we worship. We can't worship Him through our own designs and preferences. i got to create a worship. A lot of times you'll hear, especially in the charismatic world, people talk about creating an atmosphere. No! The atmosphere was created by the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He created the atmosphere for worship. And thereby He seated me in heavenly places. Create an atmosphere. How on earth am I supposed to do that? And I literally mean, how on earth am I supposed to do that? 
We can't worship Him through our designs, our preferences, our, through religious rituals and religious rigor, rigor. We can only worship Him truly in and through Jesus Christ. He is the gateway for mature worship. Next, mature worship, uh, mature worshipers rather, are instructed as to why they should worship. What's the big deal? What, what is, uh, all this worship about? Well, verse 2 says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise him for what he has done for us, as well as who he is. And we sang the great anthem of the church for this, um, the, you know, this morning when we sang, It Is Well With My Soul. If you ever listened to those lyrics of that song, or as you sang them this morning, you might have noticed that it's not singing, everything's great, everything's coming up roses, so it is well with my soul. No! That, that horrible song talks about trials and death and all kinds of things. And then it adds the refrain, the sweet, perfumed refrain of, yet, it is well with my soul. And so, this is what we're being told in the verse 2. We praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise him, praise him according to His excellent greatness for what He has done, but also who He is. To praise Him for His mighty deeds means to recognize His mighty hand in creation. The world He's created and the purposes for which He created it. We recognize His, his greatness his mighty deeds in, in, in our providential, in the way he's provided care for us, his providential care, the way he's met all of our needs and, and, and from our material temporal needs to our redemption in Christ. And that's the primary reason we recognize, we, uh, offer our praises because of our redemption of our soul from sin, from hell, from the devil, from the world, from the flesh. And so I ask this question, we mentioned it in passing last week, but if you were to honestly assess yourself in your devotional life, how aware are you of God's ever-abundant goodness toward you? I know right now all of you are. If I said, give me all the ways that God has been good to you, you'd list off a hundred. But what about, Cameron, when the baby is screaming at 3 a.m.? How easy is it to list his goodness when when the order that you've put together at work just comes all apart? When your boss is a jerk. Yes, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a holy man. But I recognize that bosses can be jerks because I've been a boss and I've been a jerk. So that's how I know that. When How, how aware are we that God's, the, the, the flow of God's goodness towards us never stops? See, mature worship means to meditate upon and to catalog the blessings that God has bestowed on your life. To force ourselves into a greater awareness of His goodness in our lives. The second reason we're given to praise God, given to praise God, is because of His excellent greatness. I love that. Worship comes alive when you move from worshiping God for what He has done, cataloging all the good things He's done, but when you worship Him simply because of who He is. Let me give you a great scripture to point out what I mean by that distinction. Psalm 103.7 says this, God made known His ways to Moses and His acts 
to the people of Israel. Now, Israel, they're traveling through the wilderness and were escaping bondage in Egypt. They saw God's mighty power. They saw it. Unlike any of us will ever see it. They saw him open the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. They saw him provide manna from the sky and, and water flowing from a rock. They saw him defeat their enemies and guide them by a pillar of fire by day and by a cloud or uh, uh, cloud by day and fire by night. See, they knew Israel in the wilderness knew God's acts. None of them could deny that God is a God who who provides and moves for, on behalf of his people. But see, Moses spoke to God face to face like a man speaks to his friend. He heard his voice. He saw his form pass by him. He heard him recite in that moment his secret name, And he saw him unfold the mystery and the merciful meaning of that name. See, Israel saw and they knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. A mature worshiper never overlooks God's working in his or her life or on his or her her behalf, but he isn't satisfied to look to God as one who merely addresses temporal needs or satisfies temporal longings. He wants to know his ways. He wants to be his friend. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Man, what a promise is that. Shouldn't this be our prayer and the goal of our praise to know him more deeply and intimately, to see his ways? Now, the largest portion of Psalm 150 is dedicated to showing us how to worship the Lord. Now, it would be easy from these three verses to revert to only thinking about musical forms of worship. Verse 3 begins, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Now all three of these verses mention musical instruments or dancing. And certainly the original readers would have understood it to be an instruction to the musicians who are employed in the service of the temple and leading the people in joyful singing. So clearly... God delights in the gifts that are offered by skillful musicians. Aren't you guys grateful for the the gift of these musicians on Sunday morning? He, He delights in the gifts offered by singers and dancers. Praise and worship, however, are much more than music, but what glorious expression music gives to our praise and worship. Amen? The Bible affirms this truth in both the Old Testament and New Testament. The, you know what the most, I, I saw this this week and um, I'm, I was amazed by it. You know what the most often repeated command throughout all of scripture is? To sing. It's to sing. Isn't that crazy? How many of you knew that? I didn't know that. But I think we have to assume that this, these three verses mean more than just using instruments, singing and dancing, especially in the light of the New Testament once again. If it only had reference to singing and playing, many of us would be left out of praise, as I said earlier. While worship should definitely include musical expression, it also includes the use of our skills and our talents. 
See, nobody ever became, nobody on the stage became skilled at music without much focused and repeated practice over and over again. They went over those scales. They learned how to put their fingers on the strings of their guitars just right. And the mention of, of, the, of so many musical instruments in this short passage should encourage us to contribute, listen to me, whatever talents we have to a worshipful life. Maybe you have mechanical talents rather than musical. Use them to create worship for God. Maybe you have artistic or academic things or any other category of life. We should devote all of our gifts to God's glory. I remember our memory verse for your families this week, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, that's my talent, um, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all. There's that word again. Do all for the glory of God, or to the glory of God. Martin Luther said this, talking about how to apply this idea of using your skills and talents for the glory of the gospel. He said, when a prince sees his neighbor oppressed, he should think, that concerns me. I must protect and shield my neighbor. The same is true, listen, for a shoemaker, tailor, scribe, or reader. If he's a Christian tailor, he will say, I will make these clothes because God has bidden me do so, so that I can earn a living, so that I can help and serve my neighbor. When a Christian does not serve the other, God is not present. That is not Christian living. Unquote. Christians worship in the workplace by having a mind to the needs and the benefits of others and to make a living to provide for a family and give to gospel-promoting causes. And this isn't just good ethics. Guess what it is? It's worship. It's worship. How many of us honestly, and I'm not saying this to put weight on anybody, because believe it or not, pastors can say the same things about their week, but how many of you can look at your week that you've just had in the workplace and say, that was worship. I did that as unto the Lord. And it applies to the way we, not just the way we go to work, but the way we raise our families, the, the way we go to school. Another way that these three to five verses, or, or these uh, verses three through five rather, instruct us toward a more mature worship is to encourage us to be diverse in our worship. Now, what I am not saying is that anything goes. I'm not saying so. We'll be diverse in our worship. We'll have belly dancers and smoke machines coming next Sunday so that we can be diverse in our worship. That is not what I'm saying. But think about the instruments that are described. It describes instruments that are strummed with picks. Like the, like the lute, and then there's some that are strummed with fingers, like the harp, uh, finger, or, or instruments that are played with the breath, with the breath and the lungs. Some are struck by the hand, like the tambourine or the mallets, like the cymbals. Some are soft and soothing, like the harp. Others are loud and startling, like the cymbals. This is diversity in worship. And similarly, we should praise God at different seasons of our life, different times of worship, with shouts. And with whispers, with tears, and with laughter. We should praise Him in times of every conceivable emotion. We should praise Him secretly and we should praise Him publicly. We should praise Him with our work. 
We should praise him with our words. We should praise him with our songs. And this is what what I mean when I say diversity of worship. I don't mean to abandon the regulative principle and ever, anything goes. I'm saying that we worship in ways that, that apply all of our lives, wherever we're at. And isn't this what Paul meant, don't you think, when he said, Rejoice in the Lord, when? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. In, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 he says, Give thanks in all circumstances. The good ones and the bad ones. And this is what he says about it. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some of you wonder, man, why do I keep having so many hard times? Perhaps it's because you haven't learned yet to worship when you're there. And this, this all circumstances, always, this is what mature worship looks like. I also think the description of the orchestra in verses 3 through 5 indicate that worship should be confidently and enthusiastically offered. That doesn't mean to come in here and the songs start up and you act giddy or unnecessarily loud. It means that it's never an empty exercise, that you get a rain on your mind when you're beginning to, to worship here or at home. And it's offered confidently. It's offered sacrificially. That means that you offer it when you want to and when you don't. It's offered faithfully that you show up every day under every circumstance to worship. And it's offered sincerely that your heart is in it. And most importantly, that it's offered completely for God's glory. And lastly, the chapter tells us who it is that's duty-bound to sing the praises of our great An awesome God. Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it ends with one more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're told that all creation is summoned. Everything that has breath to praise the King of Kings. Now, you may feel that I'm over-interpreting this verse, thinking it applies certainly only to human beings, or even more narrowly to only redeemed human beings. But let's look at what the Scriptures say. Everybody grab your Bibles. as We're, we're rounding third, ready to close this up, but I want you to see this. In, in reference to verse 6, let everything that has breath. Grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 148, just a couple of pages before our text. Or a page before our text. Psalm 148, and let's look at verse 7. And listen to these words, this summons to worship. Praise the Lord from the earth. Who? You great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts. And all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Now think about what we just read. The birds of the air sing their morning songs to the Lord, and they do it Faithfully, 
The cattle low in the fields, they give birth in the fields, and they do it faithfully. The lions hunt, the dolphins play, and mere dumb beasts are all fulfilling their Creator's purposes by doing what they should, by doing what they were created to do. And what is the take-home of that? It's only human beings who resist and rebel. It's only us. Only we who fritter our days away resisting the command to worship our great God according to our mandate. But this won't always be the case. Mm-mm. There is a day that is coming when the worship that only God deserves will be given to him from every corner and from every voice forever and ever. Philippians 2.9 Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Where? In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes and amen. Bring the day of the alls and the everies. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much because you love us and you've called us to worship. We thank you that you have been good to us. You have been kind to us in every way imaginable, God, and we so we can praise you for your mighty deeds. But God, we also want to praise you for your excellent greatness, that there is no one who is comparable to you, no one who is as good, no one who is as glorious, no one who is as, is as merciful to us than you. And so, God, we pray that this year would be a year where we seriously consider the praise and the worship that we offer you so that you might be blessed by our singing, our, our, our working, our living, our raising our children, our being husbands and wives. God, the way we come to church, the way we live in our community, all of it would just amass glory to your name, Lord God. We thank you for this. Pray for your help to make it possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, You may be seated. I have the privilege of leading our missions offering this morning. As many of you know, this is our uh, Mission Sunday where we take our offering um, to support all the missions work that uh, that we do here at Northridge Life. Um, I want to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 16, chapter... uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of of Gladia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive... And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit, uh, accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So we 
collect in offering to support those because we think it's important. Why do we think it's important? Because the apostles saw it as important. Pastor Mark mentioned, uh, has been teaching on maturing in the faith. And that maturing in the faith, one of the ways of spiritual maturity is by having a love for one another. I picked this portion of Corinthians, because if you read through the book of Corinthians, what you'll find is Paul opens up by commending them for bearing their spiritual gifts with abundance, but then he spends the rest of the time rebuking them because of their lack of maturity, which was keenly element in, as he explains in chapter 13, their lack of love for one another. They lacked love for one another. They argued and disputed. So they had many spiritual signs and gifts, but there was not love amongst them, which uh, Paul explained was the sign of true spiritual maturity. And at the end, Paul calls upon the church in Corinth to prepare an offering, to prepare a gift. For there were other church believers in a place that was not where they were in Corinth. And he wanted to bring a gift to help support that other church. What Paul was doing was very important. He was, he was calling them to action in maturing in the way that he had just instructed him through them through the rest of the letter. It was a challenge to that church. When Paul would arrive and he would receive what people had been giving, it would be evident to him if they had listened to the instruction given in his letter when he got there. When he gets later to the church in Corinth, he would be able to see if they were actually listening to his instruction and learning to love one another and learning to care for other saints by how they gave. One of the biggest ways we love one another and we care for the church, not just the church we see immediately in front of us, but the church that God is building all throughout the world is by giving to support where we can. By knowing that God has called men and women just like you to serve him and glorify his name and proclaim his reign in all areas around the world. And we love those people and we want to support them. So if you'll, uh, if I could have those who are prepared to help uh, take of the offering this morning, come get ready. Um, you can give uh, to this offering uh, physically through cash or check here. Um, and you can also, uh, on the check, just be sure to write out your check to uh, Northridge Life Church. But uh, on the little memo, just put missions on it so we can get it where it needs to go. You can also give on the website. There's a drop-down category for uh, missions. You can give there. If you'd like to give online. Um, last time I checked, our, uh, we were still needing uh, $737 to meet our um, giving goal for this quarter. So I encourage you to give abundantly, to give with grace and excitement and love for God's church. So before we take up this offering, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given to us the greatest gift we can imagine grace and salvation through your Son. And God, as we contemplate and we remember and we think about the work that you are doing both here and in all places around the world, Lord, and in Austria, Lord, and in Africa with West Wyden, God, and even here locally in the town through Ryan Denton's uh, college ministry, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred up to love to love upon those and to be giving and generous to those who so greatly are obedient to your call and serving your people with all of their life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in our love for one another and give with abundance. 
that we would trust in you for all that we have, knowing what you have given us is to be given in return to you in worship and thanksgiving. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and as we conclude our service this morning, if you go ahead and stand with me and place your hands in a receiving position, I'd like to read this benediction over you, which comes from Colossians uh, 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I say these things in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are dismissed.